Welcome to the Talking Writing Podcast. I'm John Vogel, TW's Art Director. For this week, we decided to do something a little different and have a conversation with the Talking Writing editorial team. To cap off this year's theme of Creative Lifer, our discussion centers around our own creative lives, how we balance them with the practical pressures of life, and how we keep our creative sparks alight. Talking Writing is an independent literary site and nonprofit organization based in the Boston area, but with contributors from around the world. Since our founding in 2010, we've relied on donations to keep publishing and podcasting. To donate to DW, you can use the donate button on the rss.com page of this podcast or visit talkingwriting.com slash donate. And now, please enjoy our conversation as a group of creative lifers. Hi, everyone. This is Martha Nichols with my team, my talking writing team. And we're here to talk a little bit about ourselves today and why we care so much about this venture. Uh, so I thought we'd start out by everybody introducing themselves so you can get a, the sound of voices in your head uh, for this conversation. Um, again, I'm Martha Nichols. I'm the founder and the publisher of Talking Writing. And uh, and I'm delighted to pass this over to Neva. Neva, why don't you go next? Hi, my name is Neva Taliaden, and I am the managing editor and community manager of Talking Writing. Um, I've joined Talking Writing in the middle of the pandemic. And I'm happy to join everyone here. That's great. Thank you, Neva. John, why don't you go next? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm John Vogel. I'm the art director at Talking Writing. Um, I joined in, I think, 2015. Uh, sounds about right. Uh, doing some internship stuff. And then I was the production editor doing art selection. And then I moved into the art uh, director position two years ago, I guess. Shocking that it's been that long. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Amazing. And you've done so many things for talking writing. And and let's uh, uh, end our little introductions with uh, Gabby. Gabby, you want to tell us about a little bit about yourself? Yes. Hi, um, I'm Gabby Coloma, and I joined Talking Writing, I think, a year ago, maybe, um, as a nonfiction editor. Um, and I'm really excited about this podcast, um, and I'll be moving over to help support here. So... Thank you all. Okay, so as we reach the end of 2022, uh, talking writing is going through a lot of changes, a lot of really great changes from my standpoint. And and one of the the biggest that we're going through is a shift from the original vision of it being a digital magazine that was really, really focused on writing issues and writing process issues to um, encompassing much more of the creative life and, and many more different kinds of arts and ways of doing art and of being creative. And I think that's part of the good thing about what's happened with the digital transformation has been the ability to mix and bring in all these different kinds of forms. The ability to do more multimedia work is really exciting, and it's certainly certainly where the digital publishing industry is going. So what we thought we might 
do in this episode is begin by each of us talking a little bit about what the creative life means to us and how we balance the creative work we do with the everyday reality of needing to support ourselves and our families and, uh, and what that has meant in our lives and how that has formed who we've become. Well, I think we should start by um, saying what our creative ventures are or, or what our creative lives are. Like, for example, like I am a writer. I'm also an editor, but I've, I started off as a poet um, published poet in the Philippines, and um, I've transitioned into nonfiction writing. A lot of um, I, I aspire to write a memoir, for example. Um, what about the rest of you? Like John, um, have you always wanted to be a musician? Um, or and Gabby, uh, what kind of writing do you do? Like, go ahead. Um, yeah. So I I have. Uh... It's interesting because I didn't, I, I actually, when I was a kid, like probably 12 years old, my dream was to be a writer. And um, I used to like write a lot more when I was uh, a kid and when I was a teenager. Um, and I kind of got out of it in high school, but I was always a musician as well. I like played music from the time I was four years old or something. Um, and then... I was in all the regular music ensembles in high school and also in other bands. But then in college, I didn't really want to do any of the any of the standard band stuff, like the, the large ensemble things, because it was just too time consuming. And that sort of started me down the path of being in a band, uh, which I've been in various groups since uh, throughout my 20s and 30s and done, um, you know, probably from like 2007 until 2019. I was touring regularly, regularly, um, you know, underground touring, not like making money touring. And, you know, throughout that, the entire time of playing in bands, I've always had solo music that I've also made uh, on my own. Am I right, John, that um, at some point, Right around the time that you joined us, you had also been working as an editor and a journalist for some music. Yes, <laughs> zines, magazines, digital zines. Yeah, right? somehow I just forgot about that. Um, yeah, uh, I, I was yeah. a reviews editor for um, a Philly magazine, an underground music and arts magazine called uh, Rock Pile, uh, which was like uh, I, I wouldn't say it was big, but it was sort of. Um, it, important to a certain sub, subset of people uh, in Philly and, and nationally as well. I was also the books and film editor for, a reviews editor for uh, Skyscraper Magazine, which is kind of like a seminal, um, a seminal zine uh, that was like extremely thick back in the day. Um, so yeah, uh, those were my two, my two editorial positions before, before this. I mean, it's the things you find out about each other, you know, and we're always working so hard and we never really talk about, gee, what did you do before? <laughs> so, Gabby, why don't you say, say a little bit about uh, your background and what you what you do as a creative person? Sure. I feel like I am in the stage right now where I am a hesitant writer. I feel like I was really passionate about writing when I was younger um, and did a lot of those little, like, young authors' fairs, and I thought I was going to be a writer, um, 
And I don't know, it feels hard for me now to say that I'm a writer. It's easier to kind of fill in the support roles for other creatives. Um, and I feel like I've had that role more recently. Um, had a lot of theater friends, and so I got dragged into st stage managing, um, which was really fun. Um, but I don't know, I'm still trying to negotiate that part of myself that expresses themselves and doesn't support others' expression. Um, and right now I'm working for an arts residency and so in, in, the, in development, and so a lot of that work is fundraising so that other people have space and time to create. And it's really great to see people have that um, or be given those opportunities, but it also makes me reflect on like, why am I not writing? Why don't I feel like I have space and time to write? Um, and so I think that's why I'm drawn to TW because I'm just like peeking into other people's lives and seeing how they make it work. Well, it's funny because uh, your that dilemma you expressed uh, is so central to almost every <laughs> to writer everyone. I know. <laughs> Gabby, yeah, of I, many different ages. That's the thing that uh, you know. We were talking about this uh, right before we started recording. We were talking about how important it can be sometimes to to be honest about what's in the background when uh, writers or musicians are producing this amazing work, and it might get published or it might you know, get listeners and, and be played. But in the background, it's it's like, you know, it's like toothpicks and, and rubber bands just trying to keep your life together and to um, and to be honest about what it took, you know, what it or, and what it takes out of you. I mean, the compromises you have to make. Now let's continue with our conversation between Martha Nichols, Nevitaliadin, Gabby Coloma, and me, John Vogel. Gabby, you know you're you're saying that you don't you you feel like you don't consider yourself you know as a writer, or you don't know whether you would consider yourself as a writer. But that question doesn't go away for artists. You know how would you define if you're if you're working a day job? Are you a musician? If you're if you're supporting yourself in another way and you're writing on the side, are you a writer? Are you a poet? I think it's a question that you grapple with throughout your creative life. Um, and and as well as I got older, um, that question has been answered so many times with "So what?" You know, so what if I had to take a long detour and had to rediscover it? Um, the bottom line for me is I really find joy in writing, you know, whether or not, uh, I don't know if it's the same for all writers, but whether or not, let's say, I get a book deal or published in a national publication, I'm happy writing and I think I would still write in spite of it. And, you know, I've, I've had different careers, professional careers um, in the last 20, 15, 20 years, and yet I still defaulted, you know, quote-unquote defaulted to writing. But I, I feel like, Abby, that, that also uh, brings up a really good um, issue that almost everybody I know is constantly dealing with, is how much to focus on your own art, your personal art, uh, as opposed to helping other people with their art. I think almost every single artist has to 
strike that balance and figure it out for themselves throughout the course of their life. And it's going to go up and down. Like a lot of times you feel like you're spending way too much time on other people's art. And sometimes it's like, well, I'm now I'm like months deep in my own like headspace and I need to do something to get out of this and work with other people for a second. I just wanted to say that I, I feel that, that tension a lot. And I think most artists feel that tension throughout their creative life. I, I completely agree with all of you. I mean, I mean, you're expressing different, your different life experiences around this, but, um, but there's commonalities too, of course. And, and in my own life, um, I always wanted to be a writer. Yeah, always, always, always. And what I realized going through my, you know, when I had to get a job and had to get out there and work, um, you know, just to compress that all because I've had an endless number of different kinds of jobs in editing, in journalism, in digital media and design, (laughs) a lot of different jobs. Um, So, but what I realized at a certain point is that I had to tell people I was a writer because I had to convince myself. And that if I didn't convince myself, <laughs> why would anybody else take me seriously? And, I love that. <laughs> well, I, no, seri- I, I think you have to convince yourself first. I mean, and so at a certain point, you get to where I am or where John is certainly. He's been playing in bands and working on solo projects for years. You are a musician. I mean, that's not a question at that point. You, you just are. Um, but the whole question is, how does that fit into the rest of your life and your other interests? And, and I have other interests, too. Um, and I actually have had some success in publishing, especially in the journalism realm and, you know, sort of uh, ending up in magazine journalism at a good time before the industry collapsed. Um, I definitely had good experiences with publishing lots of, you know, features and opinion pieces and then moving into the sort of columnist, you know, blogosphere thing at the time. I, so I've had, I've had ability to get my words out there. Um, but I've also had to support myself by editing and by teaching. And, you know, uh, I'm at a point in my life finally where uh, uh, the money doesn't matter as much as it used to. But man, was that a long haul. And, <laughs> you know, and that's, you know, that's the reality for most people. That is the reality. I, and, and in fact, I happened to hear, um, just the other day, I was listening to a short visit video uh, that The Atlantic did with um, Ta-Nehisi Coates, who's one of their staff writers. And it's a wonderful, vi- it's actually a video, it's called Creative Breakthroughs, I think. And he's talking about how do you stick with writing? How do you stick with it? Especially if you have to make money and how his original discouragement and people telling him at the time, you know, when he was in his 20s and 30s, like, here's the thing about really trying to make it in magazine writing or that, you know, that kind of freelance feature writing um, area is if you stick it out long enough, eventually everybody else who goes off to become a lawyer or go into corporate communications or do whatever they need to do in order to make their life work, you're still there. And the opportunities may come to you. Um, but he really talks about, you know, the thing, you know, the thing about writing is so much of the experiences of failure. And you have to be able to live with that and to persevere. 
that is, you know, that's what makes it tough. If you can, if you can live with that experience of failure and be not just live with it, be comfortable with it, sort of accept that this is part of the process. When I was working, trying to support myself to make a living, I thought I would, no big deal. I would have a day job and I'll write on the side. I'm telling you, I couldn't write. I couldn't. And it, I felt like such a failure because I wanted to be a writer more than anything. And yeah, I would freelance. I would write a book review and get, you know, for some magazine or I would, um, do, I would ghostwrite a book for a politician in the Philippines, for example. And that would, <laughs> they pay a lot. But at the cost of not being able to find my voice not being able to practice, you know, beyond journal writing, which of course is writing, of course. But I just, I couldn't write with a day job. And I struggled with that for like more than a decade. So I just wanted to comment that being comfortable with that kind of failure and not, you know, knowing that it takes time. I wish somebody had told me that earlier on. Um, I don't think it's easy, Neva. I actually don't think it's easy. I certainly spent um, a chunk of my time as a freelance editor where I was able to support myself. And I even did some of my own writing and got some of my own writing published. But it was really hard to juggle all that different stuff. And once I had a kid, impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I had to cut certain things out. Right. So I, I think that's what's complicated about this. But one thing, John, you and I were talking about, and, and this has to do with the, what I consider to be the sort of the fantasy narrative out there about successful artists and musicians and writers and everything. Um, yes. We've been doing that uh, back and forth about that Brian Eno interview that was recently in the New York Times. And um, in that... Brian Eno sort of, you know, somebody, he's talking about the fact that so many of the superstar musicians, of course, you know, they have all this charisma. They're charismatic performers, and that's what captivates the public attention. Um, and he's sort of is talking about, well, it would really be great if, if we could cultivate a charisma of uncertainty. And that whole phrase, I actually kind of love. Of course, Brian Eno's famous, so it's not, you know, it's not like he's exactly, you know, you know, uh, hurting for attention. But the idea that it isn't just about charisma and influence, but that it is about accepting uncertainty and going through all these changes in our artistic lives, as certainly as Brian Eno has, or many, many musicians have, many artists and writers do over time, as you're going through all these changes, and you're going to change things up. And, and I, I think it also speaks to just like the... Um the myth of confidence, like, like there's, there's this sense in, it's certainly in American culture, especially, but that, that like, even if you're wrong, showing confidence will like get you ahead. And, and to a certain degree, that's very true. And I think it's also like really harmful though, because that elevates people who are, whose only quality is confidence, not like necessarily <laughs> that what they're doing is good for other people or good for themselves or anything. So I think cultivating like like a more of a mentality of 
I hope this is the right thing to do. I'm not sure, but uh, this is like the only thing <laughs> I can think to do. And um, let's just try it out and see if it uh, see where it goes. And and also being being able to be fine with not being confident about something and not trying to always maintain that you're right in the face, you know, sometimes in the face of like facts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, I think that's why the, the, when we, when you suggested the creative life for concept, John, I think that's why it was so resonant because if you don't think of art in terms of what you can produce, how much you can produce or how much you can get out of it. If you think about art as this ongoing thing, just like waking up every day, just like life, like creative lifer, then mm-hmm. you kind of do art differently. Then you, you start practicing differently because you know it's going to be there. It's not going to leave you <laughs> because it's, it's for life, basically. So, you know, it's probably... It's a bit like idealistic if you think about it, but in in other ways it's not. It's kind of practical because if if then if you practice art without or divorced from mere practicalities, then you're more free to pursue and practice art without all the should have I should be doing this. I should be you know, I should be have been published by now. I should have, you know, none of those, you know, external deadlines that that burden us when we thought about being artists when we were younger. Well, I think they can burden us internally, though. Um, and that's part of what Gabby was saying about does she even feel comfortable calling herself? You know, that that's the that's the thing that's the hardest to get done past. Now let's continue with our conversation between Martha Nichols, Nevitaliadin, Gabby Coloma, and me, John Vogel. For me, I was I, I was I was going to be a published science fiction author in my mid twenties, you know, and I actually went fairly down a ways down that road with getting manuscripts to publishers and agents and people liking them, but just not clicking. And then I just kind of gave up because I felt like a failure. Um, so that was like, you know, one turning point, I would say, for me as a writer. It was probably in some ways the right turning point because it was also ultimately led me to do the kind of writing that I like better, that is that, it, that connects with me more, even though I still love science fiction. So, um, you know, so, you know, something like that, that is a difficulty, can become a strength, but you have to see it as a... A lifelong journey or you're or you're in it for that or you decide you know I do have friends who who had early success as writers and then it kind of fell apart and they just decide I'm not doing this anymore I think that's what happened to me like I you know very early on I was like I was plucked as one of the poetry you know writers they published me early in the Philippines and I was put into so many like workshops Mm -hmm. um, you know put in that position and then the pressure of publishing uh, like okay you've graduated by 21 you should have a poetry collection out just as so many um, famous poets in the Philippines had done and I couldn't Mm -hmm. because I also needed to support myself and that pressure actually 
kind of turned me off of poetry um, for better or worse. You know, it, it had such a detrimental effect on me. Um, but it also led me to explore other genres, which I am grateful for. But definitely, I feel that. I feel the pressure of, of when you had so much promise as a young person, and mm-hmm. then you feel like you didn't deliver. And there's, there's the weight of that, which, you know, I got over, but it was a real thing back then. It is a real thing. Uh, Gabby, do you have something more to say about either that or, or uh, just what you, if, if you, if you could, if you could decide that you're going to call yourself a writer or even a hesitant writer, what pro, what kind of projects would you like to work on? Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, I don't, I, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> Something that you were, what you were talking about, Neva, about, um, like feeling burnt out though, I think that's part of what makes the idea of creative lifer so compelling to me. Like, how do you build longevity into, I, I don't know, maybe career isn't the right word because we're talking about having like day jobs and other parts of yourself outside of this creative self, but how do you allow your creative self to live for a very long time, um, I think is is also something that I am wondering about because there are a lot of pressures and you do have to deal with failure um, and there are things that kind of make you think at every step, do I want to keep doing this? Part of what happens here is that you have to bring together, you know, sort of all the top level thinking we do about how do I keep body and soul together? How do I, how do I support my family? How do I, you know get to the next stage in my career or, you know, any of that. It, but, but you also have to connect it to what it feels like and what it feels like to do the work. And I think one of uh, the many things I've realized, and it's been hard over the years, you know, I would have liked to have written a best-selling novel or things <laughs> like that, right? But one of the things I've found is that the work I do, the writing I do, um, and even bringing together a venture like talking writing, where we get to talk about writing, <laughs> we get to talk about art and music. It 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 gives me joy. It it it's like a spark in the day. You know, it's it's like a spark in in the rest of what can be a very dreary day or very dreary landscape of you know just having a you know a lot of like real life pressures to deal with. Just to address the 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 quitting aspect, because I think that's a really big. That's a really big hurdle to get over for a lot of people is that when you don't have what you have already set up as your expectation of success, when that doesn't come in, the the natural tendency is to be like, well, either I wasn't cut out for this or I'm not willing to do it or I like it's just not happening for me, so I'm going to stop doing it. And I know for me personally, I... I we went on like a 10 week tour of like that was really not great <laughs> in like two, in 2009 it was like a really difficult 10 week tour with like a few shows that were really great but like mostly shows that were like really difficult and it was just a really long time and um I remember coming back from that with like a lot of doubt about like what we what I was doing what we were doing Um, and then I started, like, I had a few really intense experiences listening to and writing music that, uh, 
gave me a level of joy that I was like, that made me just feel like I don't want to quit this ever. And it was a very big turning point for me from like, to completely abandon everything I had expected out of what I was doing. Uh, all, all, all of the things that I had told myself would be a success would have been nice. It would have been, you know, all these things would have been great to, to have. But at the same time, I, I sort of settled into a feeling of like, um, I'm just going to do this the rest of my life, even if it, even if I don't get any of those things. Cause, cause it's more important to my mental health. It's more important to, um, how I, how I go throughout the day. Like a lot of times it just makes working, uh, tolerable, (laughs) you know, just the idea that I can, that I can go and work on music at night makes working or taking care of my kid during the day all day, you know, like, like it makes that tolerable because I know I have something to go to, uh, that will give that to give that sort of whatever you want to call it. Um, like, you know, a lot of times it sort of edges into a sort of spirituality, which I'm not like a very spiritual person, but it's, uh, I think it, I think it does provide that same sort of thing for a lot of people. Like for me, certainly I'm at a point where I recognize that my art, my writing is a need. It's, um, you know, it's, it's something that I want to keep living with. Um, it's not just an extracurricular activity or it's different from my gardening hobby, certainly a different level than from my gardening hobby. Like, sure. Yes. Good for my mental health too. But I think there's very few things aside from writing that is just completely mine, you know, um, for, for better or worse. And writing is that for me, like, um, I wouldn't say it's part of my identity, just part of my identity, but it's something that I don't need to show to other people, but I do for myself and find a sense of fulfillment in. So I think I've, I've reached that point, but to Martha's point, you don't get there instantly, of right. course, <laughs> because of yeah. so many external pressures and, and things that the world is telling you, oh, this is how... You, you know, you're only successful if you're this. You're only a musician if you're this, you know. And that that's part of the detriment of the success story, which Martha and I have also talked about this at length. And I, I think I've talked about it with you too, Neva, is like the, 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 the harm, I think, of like the success story that we always hear because everybody who gets every every artistic story that you that gets turned into a book or that gets written about in magazines or that it's always about the struggling artist who then breaks through and we never hear the struggling artist who keeps struggling for the rest of their lives we don't which we don't is more common that. yeah which is like Far more common. Nine, 99% of like <laughs> yeah. all artists are people who are in that category and and i i think the the harm of the success story is that it does create these expectations for people before they get into artwork. And when those expectations are fulfilled, they end up quitting. And so I think the success story that we've been fed all our lives is, is a big, big factor in why so many quit, so many people quit participating in art into their adulthood. And I think that's very harmful because I think it's a healthy thing to do. 
Yeah. Well, the harm, like Martha, like I learned this from Martha. Um, but the harm in that is not that you tell the success story. By all means, you know, we, we want to hear the success story, but you have to tell the other side of the story too. And that never gets told. You know, so that's the problem with it. That's why, that's why it's harmful. It becomes well, I would harmful. say it rarely gets told, but many of our writers have t- told some variation of that story, right? And now we're going to conclude with some final thoughts from Navitali Aden, me, John Vogel, and Martha Nichols. For me, what what create the creative life or concept means is that when all of the essential stuff get taken away, when all of the practical stuff falls away, what remains? And one of the most essential things that remains for me as a need is creating art, is writing, especially when the pandemic happened. So if the world were ending, I was faced with the question, if the world were ending, what would I have? What would I still be doing? And funny enough, you know, in the middle of all the kerfuffle during that uncertain time, I thought about writing. I kept writing. I restarted writing. And so for me, that's what the term creative lifer means that I probably will be doing this for the rest of my life as long as I have my faculties, you know, my mental faculties around me. And um, as John mentioned a while ago, it matters less that I am published or acknowledged. It matters that I can keep doing it in the middle of and in spite of my everyday life. So I think that's the one thing that I would say to sum up the creator lifer, creative lifer concept. For me, I, I wish that when I was uh, considering the the arts as a kid i wish i had more people explaining to me the reality of what it's like to be an artist and the reality of uh, what it's like to pursue art throughout my teenage years and then in my 20s and and somewhat my 30s i would take jobs for like a long period of time and then end up at a certain point being um re- realizing that i wasn't making time for art and that that was making me more unhappy than ha- being, you know, having financial stability, you know. Um, so I've I've literally hit probably three or four times in my adult life where I've consciously made the decision to uh, to not have as steady of a paycheck so that I could work on my art. That's almost blasphem- blasphemous. I know, I know. That's that's not something that you're that is encouraged in the American ethos, right? Uh, so like, and and I felt like though to me, I feel like that has been the right decision, and I feel like I, you know, I'm realizing throughout my adult life that like that people's perception of me not working up to my full potential is because I'm not working up to my full potential in the areas that they think are important, but to me. My art is, like, more important than that. And I feel like I am working up to my full potential in the artistic realm, at least as far as I can. You know what I would say, John, that your 
belief. It's not blasphemy in the church of art. (laughs) If we in the church of art, if we believe in that as a as spiritual sustenance or emotional sustenance in that way, I, I, you know, in in summing up a little bit here, I I don't want to get into go down too many different byways, but we've said very very little about the politics. Um, and resource issues around arts and and the struggles there uh, for anybody who is working in these professions, um, uh, but they are real. Uh, and there, there's and and in sort of larger political social sense, I do believe that having faith in the value of a creative life and of supporting the work of artists really, really reframes the way you look at the world. And we are very, very much in need of a new frame for looking at our very troubled world. And we need artists, writers, musicians, creative people of all kinds to put their energies in that direction. And the energy, it, it, it's by its nature, it's process-oriented, it has to respond to what's happening, and it is not transactional. Yes. So that's, you know, that's why I believe in this. That's why I certainly still support talking writing, want it to continue, why it matters so much to me <coughs> as a venture. So um, in any case, it's all about making meaning and and not allowing the world to get us down because it very easily can right now. Thank you to everybody who's listening. Thank you to our supporters, to our donors, to all the artists out there. I hope you have wonderful, wonderful winter holidays, a break time, a, a time that where you have a chance to be sparked creatively. Thank you for listening to the Talking Writing Podcast. All of the music in this episode was written by me, John Vogel. We're a donor-funded nonprofit, and if you'd like to help us continue with our podcast and publishing, you can always donate via the donate button on the rss.com page of this podcast or at talkingwriting.com donate. You can read our current issue and much more about the creative life on our website. And of course, feel free to drop us a line at editor at talkingwriting.com.